0: Each Monday we catch up with David Chubridge. Uh, David, I believe, doing a fantastic job of keeping the New South Wales government accountable, even though he can't actually do it face-to-face, because once again, Parliament's in this state, despite it sitting everywhere else around the country, is not sitting. Gladys Berejiklian running away from accountability, uh, according to David Chubridge and the state opposition in Labor. David, good morning to you, mate. Yeah, morning, Marcus. Uh, another week, I won't be going back to Parliament.
1: You know, another week, we'll be doing what we can with the, the other parliamentary tools we have to hand, hold them to account.
0: All right, well, what's on the agenda for this week? Um, tell me what, you, what you're going to be up to in particular.
1: Well, we've got another hearing of the Public Accountability Committee coming on this Thursday, yeah.
0: um, where we want to be looking at what
1: the, what, what the evidence is behind the lockdown plan, what the evidence is on a health basis, um, what, we, what the government says we can expect in terms of um, the impact on our health sector, the impact on our hospitals as they as they start moving through their um, the, the plan I suppose you might call it as we as, as towards the end of the year, yeah. um, also looking at what the economic um, plan is if there is an economic plan, particularly for western and southwest sydney and and, and the questions we 'll be asking this week. We'll, we'll have benefited from. We had two hearings last week, which provided a, a, an extraordinary um, um, a, a amount of evidence about just so much that's, that's missing in the response so far. Mm. Uh,
0: you forced Parliament uh, to hear directly from multicultural Sydney about the city's two-track mm-hmm. lockdown. Uh, we heard that the restrictions in the West have been quote-unquote sadistic, police, curfews, the army, dreadful communications, and a lack of material mm-hmm. support, David.
1: Yeah, I mean, last week we, we had on, on Friday in the morning and into the early afternoon, we heard from the 12 most impacted, um, LGAs, you know, those, those, those parts of Western and Southwestern Sydney that have really been facing the front. Yeah. And the anger that we got from community leaders, it was just, you, it was just extraordinary that the sense of being persecuted, the sense of these two Sydneys, the, um, um, you know, we had community leaders, particularly multicultural, um, Sydney, say that things like the curfew the complete lack of um, any kind of uh, coherent health evidence behind the curfew it been imposed upon um, western and southwestern sydney where actually the curfew hurts the most because it's the part of sydney that has the greatest degree of shift work working around the 24-hour clock to keep our city running and that's the part of sydney that had the lockdown imposed upon it we had um we had community leaders come and give us evidence about how young people were being stopped three and four times when they went out to do exercise, about the oppressive concept of having um, police choppers circling over circling over their homes, yeah. put so many police on the streets. <laughs> and they pointed out, well, that's happening to them, you know, in Maryland's and Fairfield and, um, and Campbelltown. Well, that's happening to them. They're getting these images of people, you know, partying, and relaxing and wandering about in in the rest of Sydney
0: and, and the on ones the beaches in particular. Uh, I mean the optics <coughs> the optics we saw from uh, not last week, well not this weekend, gone, but the weekend prior uh, would have obviously led to great anger in the west and southwest, where you had literally <coughs> tens of thousands of Sydney siders, and I don't blame them. Um, Sunning themselves, lying on towels and all the rest of it on our beaches and on the, the grasslands around our beaches, uh, getting their vitamin D after mm. some mixed messaging, I thought, from uh, the health minister who said, Well, you know, um, outdoor exercise and getting some sun is good for you. Well, tell that to the people in the southwest. Yeah, that's right. If, if outdoor exercise is good for you, and
1: it seems to be pretty compellingly the case, it's it's extremely difficult to catch COVID outside. Obviously, social distancing is important. Sticking to the public health orders is important. But if, if if that's true, if it's hard to catch COVID doing outside exercise in Bondi, well then it's hard to catch COVID doing outside exercise in Western Sydney as well. And you know, if you if you've been locked in your home, having that having that option taken off the cards because of public health orders um, and um, of course you're going to be questioning the entire government response and I think that's part of the, the key problem that there's a breakdown in trust between the people who have those kind of one-sided rules imposed upon them and the government of the day and 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 people are right to be distrustful of those kinds of um, discriminatory actions when they don't seem to be well grounded in any kind of evidence. But not only do we have that, Marcus, we also had, had the community leaders saying that when all these key decisions were being made, they were never consulted. They were never asked about how that would play out in the community. They were never asked about how to communicate it to the community. At best, they were told after the decision was made, they might get a a short call after the decision is made and say oh we 've just done this to your community oh we 've just done this to your community and and never been brought into the, never been brought to the table, never been consulted before the decisions were being made and you know, that's been a repeated theme in this COVID
0: response. Well, that's right, and uh, we, we finally uh, saw the premier at least um, via Zoom sit down and talk to some of these uh, these leaders of these communities in West and Southwest Sydney. She addressed some of the mayors and their concerns, and it uh, you know, from all accounts, was a quite a, a willing conversation. And, and, but that's probably what should have happened from the outset.
1: Well, absolutely. We, we had two of the mayors come and talk to us as well, um, Canterbury-Bankstown and Penrith. And um, and they said that, you know, even in that meeting, it was still very contested. There was no real opening up, no real, um, no, no discussion, no no promise from the Premier that they'd be part of the consultation before decisions are made going forward. Again, it was just like a, a make-up meeting that had been forced upon the Premier because the, she'd Refused to meet with the mayors for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks yeah. um, and, and and look the local councils aren't perfect, but local councils have a far better connection to people on the ground than the state or the federal government and if if you want to get your message out, if you understand what want to understand what's actually going on in the community, it is negligent not to bring local councils and mayors to the table as early as possible and And that just has not
0: happened in this COVID response. Now, you uh, said last week that um, there's a push for 15,000 vaccinated uh, people uh, to be a part of the Everest. Um, Sydney's Everest, crisis cabinet pushing big crowds at a horse, uh, cruelty and gambling event. Uh, before even having a plan for when kids can see their grandparents. Um, You know, I I tend to agree with you. I was a little frustrated when I read this story last week. Look,
1: the the, the idea that we would gamble with our public health, we would gamble with having to reimpose lockdown measures again in order to allow the Everest race to proceed with 15,000 people at a racetrack, the idea that that's even on the table is just extraordinary. By all means, if, if we can if we can loosen lockdown measures consistent with the public health advice and allow people to get back to work or allow people to catch up with their families or allow community events to happen, um, then, you know, all COVID safe. Then be by all means, let's be doing that. Let's look at the health advice, see what we can do. Let's, yeah. But the idea that we would be pushing the envelope and risking having to have a sort of yo-yo lockdown again, go back into lockdown again, because the government wants to have... A million dollar horse race with fifteen thousand people at a racetrack. I mean, is this actually happening, Marcus? Is that, is that well, What it the crisis cabinet is, is spending its time discussing?
0: <laughs> I what? can't see it happening. I think there'll be hell to pay if it goes ahead. What, what date are they looking for? Um, uh, the sixteenth, I think it is sixteenth yeah, yeah, of October. Even yeah. before this
1: so-called magic freedom day, you know. Yeah. The, um, I just. But, but even if it doesn't happen, mm. the thought. That it was the subject of serious time being spent in the Cabinet discussing that, rather than discussing how we get the number of ICUs open, how we make sure we get um, jabs in arms, how we make sure we deal with things like... I mean, last week we heard about the, 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 the crisis in terms of reaching out to Aboriginal medical services in far Western and Western New South Wales. That's what the Crisis Cabinet should be talking about, not whether or not they can... Rapidly get a horse race up and running.
0: All right, finally, I'll play you a little bit of audio from the Prime Minister. Um, I'll, I'll do this because you've made some mention of it in your social uh, social media over the last week. I expect my ministers, all of them, and I and myself, to uphold the ministerial standards and to act in accordance with those ministerial standards. And uh, Mr Porter, by taking the decision that he has done, that reinforces our government's commitment to those standards. We hold ourselves to them and where we believe that people need to take action to ensure they are upheld, then they have. Uh, Look, I don't know. Uh, I suppose... Only Scott Morrison would be able to spin something like that. Uh, I mean, it came five days too late, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Christian Porter is gone. But just uh, explain, in your opinion, why Christian Porter had to resign. Well,
1: if, if you're a politician and you're responsible to, um, to, to to the electorate, people need to know who pays for you to be there. People need to know who you owe financially. Um um, for for being in office and and people therefore need to know who's paying you when I mean, it's just the, one of the most fundamental principles of accountability. And even more so if you're a minister and you're making um, ministerial decisions, you need full disclosure about who has actually contributed to your campaign or in this case contributed heaven knows how much to, to your legal case. And mm. the idea that you would be taking money from a blind trust where literally anybody can contribute um, and and there's no disclosure about who's paid for your um, legal costs in this case is is just extraordinary. And when I heard that statement from Scott Morrison, I mean, I I, I know that the man has a history in as you know as an advertising um, executive, but when I heard that, I I was just astounded by the hypocrisy of it. Scott Morrison did not act. Scott Morrison knew about this. For five well, didn't days. he have
0: to uh, seek advice, which I found just absurd? I mean. What does it say that a prime minister or any uh, leader needs to actually um, seek advice on whether or not this passes you know, the pub test? That, that's concerning. Well, well I mean, the, the prime minister is meant to set the standards. He's meant to say
1: what is or isn't acceptable. But even so, I mean, the, the ministerial code of conduct is absolutely clear. You can't receive anonymous donations. I mean, this is this is am- ambiguous. You can't receive anonymous donations. This is this was a minister who'd accepted up to you know a million dollars in in anonymous donations, and then um, having 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 been advised of that, the prime minister does nothing and waits five days, pushes it off for some external advice, and then waits for for Porter himself to resign. That's not setting standards, and and. and you know, I've when I when I ask people about this out in the community, the, the main question that comes back to me is, well, but can can M, can any MP just accept a million dollars of 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 um, anonymous donations and remain remain in Parliament? I mean, the question now being asked isn't about whether or not you can remain a minister. The question now being asked is whether or not you can remain in Parliament, having received such a huge amount of anonymous donations.
0: Well, that's the next point, isn't it? Uh, I mean, Mr <laughs> Porter is obfuscating, saying that it's, you know, he's obviously been subjected to, quote-unquote, trial by media. Uh-huh. Um, that may well have been the case. But, uh, I mean, Mr Porter was the one who decided to sue the ABC and, and commence these proceedings, which effectively kept everything in the media, if you like. Uh, we know that was settled. Um, but where did the money come from to pay for it?
1: Yeah, and, and, and that answer needs to be given by every, every member of parliament, not, not just ministers. Every member of parliament should be able to say who has funded them to remain in the position they are, who has funded them for their political campaigns, and in this case, who has funded them for a, a you know, million-dollar law case directly related to their politics. So yep. All right. I... I you know, I don't think this matter has resolved, um, and and I think what it has shown again is the failure of Scott Morrison to to to, to enforce standards, to take it to take it take take the role of the MP of enforcing standards for, for the nation, anything like seriously. And then to hear that spin from him that this is all about just shows how important stand, ministerial standards are to, to to him and his government. I just. You know, I'm I'm constantly astounded by the man, and he astounded me again.
0: Well, that's true. All right, good to have you on. Appreciate it as always, David. We'll catch up next week. Good speaking.